Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Adventures in Careerland. And once again, I'm Adriano Magnifico. I'm the career consultant in the Louis Riel School Division. And we are in the broadcast media studio at the moment. The broadcast media program is one of those 13 programs in the Arts and Technology Center. Those are the programs that students choose when they want to get an extra leg up on life, on work, on personal identity, on carving the path out, on thinking about what life will look like after high school. So these programs are pretty unique. They include plumbing, they include automotive, they include new media design, they include information systems, just a plethora of programs, a plethora <laughs> of programs. That's a beautiful thing. And I'm with my able and smart team of producers from the broadcast media program. And this is Andre. Hello. He identifies he, him. Yes. Okay. And CJ identifies they, them. And I am he, him, Adriano. I, I'm always pleased to work with this team because the students who join me as producers on this podcast, and they will be my producers for the next little while, I'm so pleased as a teacher to watch these young people and their skills just blossom in this program. And that's what happens when you step off the beaten path of high school. It's just an amazing process to watch you young people turn into just these amazing, assertive go-getters. And that's what happens. It happens with every group of producers I work with. So how fortunate am I to work with you two? A couple of questions. I was watching something. I don't know what you're eating. I always ask some crazy question to you, but I was watching television. And who comes on the television but Julia Child? You remember Julia Child? Do you have any idea who Julia Child is? I have no clue. Heard this. the name. <laughs> Julia Child was one of those cooks of this 50s and 60s and, oh, and 70s. Okay. I think I've seen and it. She's amazing. YouTube, and she yeah. revolutionized the way to cook. And it occurred to me as, as I was watching her and she was talking. She talks like this. Yeah. And she's always amazing. And all of these cooks from that, from that era love to use lard and <laughs> and bacon grease and they would save this stuff i'm not kidding i had a book when i moved into my house in the in the early 80s in the mid 80s a book was left behind madame madame benoit mm. a french cook and i'd open it up i thought oh i've got a great book i can cook with this book and everything was lard right and so <laughs> julia Chada and, and and madame benoit <laughs> oh and don't forget to keep the lard because you can turn them into lovely Lord lollipops for the, uh, for the grandchildren and they no. will love them so and i just don't give that to your grandchildren ooh. please oh it was, are you kidding spectacular stuff i was actually cooking that way because of madame benoit's book in my early life and i think it's taken a few years off of my life but it <laughs> it was amazing so i'm asking you two now what kinds of foods do you like to eat? What are your go-tos in food that you like to eat? Mine's obviously the lard lollipop, mm -hmm. which, which still resonates with me. But what about you two? Something I've gotten to recently is samosas. Oh, it's oh, good. I don't it's think good. I've ever had those. So like, what connected you to the samosa? So basically, we had a new neighbor. Anyways, they have origins in India, and they had invited us to their house to to come for supper and they had curry and whatnot and then they had samosas and that was my favorite dish well it's not a dish it's more like it's it's it, something it's wrapped. like an italian calzone but it's an indian version exactly thing. exactly it's, it's delicious it is it's it delicious. is it really is yeah how about you cj i'm actually a very picky eater i like barely eat anything different my favorite food is probably stir fry like teriyaki stir fry 
with broccoli and cauliflower and like carrots and everything all together and ramen noodles oh, oh, it's so good delicious we have uncracked another small piece of this wall of my producer team we've learned more about them we will learn more as we move on as we continue these podcasts but today we have a special guest and this guest is a former student of mine from way back, I believe, in 2006 or seven. She will confirm that. But we're super happy to have on this edition of Adventures in Careerland, Shailene Allard. And she is coming to us live from, I think it's Edmonton, is it not? Hi, Shailene. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Again, where are you coming from? I actually moved to Ottawa in September. So Gatineau, but I work in Ottawa. You're in Gatineau, but but I recall we had a conversation the other day or yesterday and we talked about your time in Edmonton. So Shailene, how are you? And your journey has been really interesting. I remember you in high school. Remember, this podcast is about Shailene. The reason I like having folks like you on is because we like to get into the mindsets of people at information as they try to figure out what the path can look like for them. So tell us in high school, back in those days at Windsor Park, was it 2007 or six? Uh, so I graduated in 2007. So right. I would have been in this CIT program, the career internship program, first year of being at Windsor Park starting in 2006. We might have done a little bit, you know, earlier on, but yes. I think that's kind of when it, it went live. And that's interesting because I, I was trying to get a program going in, in Windsor Park. It's called the Career Internship Program. It's flourishing there now. It's got dozens of students in it in grade 11 and 12. And we were just starting with a grade 11 program at, at Windsor Park at the time. I recall how difficult it was to get students to sign up for that program. And I thought you were an exceptionally, you know, intelligent and bright student. And I had to convince people to join this. Why is it so difficult for people to join programs like the SIP? Tell me about that. And what was it like at that time when me coming up to you saying, hey, do you want to join this program? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, I certainly wasn't in that voice. Well, well, because it was kind of like that, though, right? I was stopping people in the hallways. Hey, do you want to join a program? Do you, you remember those days? Like, uh, I don't know. You sound like you're trying to sell something. <laughs> well, I was. Shaylee, talk he about that. He's trying to was. sell his program. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, to be completely honest, I don't recall kind of the re recruiting portion other than but starting with some leadership workshops, you know, learning to run these workshops and just kind of growing our skills. So that was, you know, appealing to me. In that kind of my teen years, I was really interested in growing as a person. And that's kind of where it really began was with the career internship program. And that program specifically showed me that it's good to challenge yourself. And I mean, it was the first year. So I would say that it was probably more difficult for us than it would have been for following classes. In terms of people joining because I wasn't part of that process, I don't remember having any issues because I, I do recall all of my classmates who joined. I think what it was for us is we didn't really know what we were getting into. And that might have been why on your end, it felt a little bit more challenging to kind of recruit people to this program. Because I guess from my perspective, it didn't really seem or feel like a fully developed idea at that point. And that's just, you know, my recollection. And and I mean, you also know that you're kind of going to be a guinea pig. So I don't know too many people who are super excited about being guinea pigs for a first year institution type thing. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I never thought that's an interesting perspective. And you're right. I was, uh, I was making that up as I went along. And <laughs> And it was, it was mostly because I wanted to take students off the beaten path of doing the same thing over and over again from K to 12 and wanted them, as we talk in this program about collect dots, collect more dots in your life so you can connect them. 
And that's part of the mantra mm -hmm. of some of the work I've been doing lately is you can't really connect your dots until you collect enough of them to look back on and say, okay, here, here are the pieces that connect to me. Here are the pieces that gravitate towards me. Here are the pieces that make a difference to me that I really enjoy that interest me. And then you can start moving along and connecting dots. And that's what the program was supposed to be and moving along. But I'm telling you, it was, it was a struggle in those first couple of years, because as you say, I guess it had a bit of the, the guinea pig feel. And, mm -hmm. and it just made people feel like, you know, I've done the same thing for a long time. Uh, I can keep doing the same thing. And that's always what I rail against. Let's stop doing the same thing all the time. How do you feel about that concept? Probably since I started that program and actually long before that, considered myself the black sheep of my family and, you know, didn't really <laughs> connect well with people for a long time because I didn't think the way others thought. And, you know, it was strange going against the grain and watching everybody kind of look at you going, she's going the wrong way. But realizing that it was my way and that's okay. Well, and you were into sports. You were so into sports and you've talked about your energy in sports. You were on the basketball team, the volleyball team. If there was something to be done at Windsor Park athletically, you were joining it and you were part of it. How important were sports to you and what did they develop in you at Windsor Park moving forward? Well, sports were kind of part of my life since I can remember. It was something, you know, where I could use as an outlet, you know, physically and mentally. I won't spend too much time talking about it, but my home life wasn't ideal. It wasn't great. So I spent a lot of time finding ways to outlet and be creative and honestly be a little distracted so that when I did arrive home, I was, you know, sometimes too tired to have to be in that headspace, if that makes sense. So sports for me were a really big outlet. I was also really good at them. I'm an active person. I always have been, you know, I used to really define myself as an athlete. Um, and now I'm more careful to kind of put myself in, in boxes that I feel like I later can't escape, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sports were really just kind of something that I excelled at and I enjoyed and taught me perseverance. If you have a fantastic coach, and I definitely have, you know, some really memorable moments with, in particular, my basketball coach, who was also the, you know, the guidance counselor at the school. You know, he was a, a pretty important figure to me and helped me kind of keep pushing forward through some difficult times in my life and use sports as a, as a productive means to that, if that makes sense. Well, that's awesome. So did school kind of become for you like a home to you, like a, a, a space where you felt really more comfortable and secure? I think it was just something that I was good at. And therefore, for me, I still see it as I'm good at this. It makes me feel good about myself. I wouldn't necessarily call it a safe space because I know everybody has different experiences yeah, yeah. in school. And unfortunately, I don't know that bullying has gone away and, you know, yes. not be the nicest people. But for me, it was just being able to focus on what I'm good at. And my teachers were always willing to listen, really supportive. So I guess in, in that way, it was definitely a kind of a safer space. And then just somewhere where I felt like I was able to be recognized and just be known for excelling and, and being good at things because I didn't really get that elsewhere. I recall you, you were a little spark plug in school. You were just full of energy. I always enjoyed any interactions with you. And I'm so glad you joined SIP because I was looking for the, those kinds of people. Imagine when you're starting a program to start programs. I need spark plugs like you. You know what I mean? You, mm -hmm. need, you need people with a little energy and those who have some influence on the population like I thought you did. So I, I really appreciated you 
joining that all the time. So you finish high school and we mentioned that you're still in touch with some of your old buds, which is, which is really nice. And what did you do after high school? Like, what did you think? Now, Windsor Park's different, right? Not everybody's going to university at Windsor Park. Some are going to college. Some are going to work. Some are just kind of figure out what to do. Where did you feel like when you left high school where you were at? So I did the internship through the career internship program and I did get a work contract out of that. It wasn't what I was looking for. Just to be clear, that was with the Downtown Watch Ambassadorship Program, right? Yeah, with the Downtown Biz. So I was working a little bit with both. And I was working with one of the, I guess, the program coordinator to develop one of the programs the Biz did. I'm trying to remember. It had something to do with change. So there was change boxes all over downtown. We would collect them and that money would go to the homeless. So I was helping with that program and inventory and So, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of floundering and a little bit of figuring out what I didn't want first. And honestly, that's kind of been a pretty big theme and something that I have realized. You know, you said you have to find more dots, but not all of those dots are going to connect. That's right. Oh, that's a really good And also, all of those dots are not going to take you directly to where you're meant to be. So they might be detours, and that's okay, because if you can find a takeaway from that path, or, you know, eventually find your way back to where you're meant to be going or where you want to be going. Exactly. It sometimes means that you have to learn what you don't want. And that's kind of been a pretty big thing for me is, is in order for me to figure out what I do truly want out of my life, out of my career, out of my relationships, I have to figure out first or at least filter out what I don't want. That's true. And that's very hard to figure out all the time. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But it's easier than figuring out what you want because one is so precise and the other is, you know, kind of a process of elimination. So you get closer to what you want by, you know, recognizing and understanding what you don't want. Hey, that's brilliant. You are a soothsayer. I feel like we're climbing a mountain for information. (laughs) We are, yes. And Shailene's there and we're saying, tell me what the secret is. And you're giving it to us. I love this. (laughs) But you've always had that quality in you. That's what I'm saying to you. I think you've always had that quality. Like I really wanted you in the program for the way you thought. And you're giving us the great indication of that. Now, just to be clear, the downtown watch when you were doing it, some people may not know what this was, but you were part of an ambassadorship patrol that would walk the streets of downtown Winnipeg. Do you just want to talk a little bit about that? And what did you learn about those pieces? While it didn't fit in exactly, there were some interesting pieces there. Do you agree? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the downtown watch, is what they were called as, you know, they were part of the biz, but kind of their own kind of separate thing. And the majority of the people that came to that program were people who were looking to get into some type of law enforcement, whether it was corrections or RCMP, local police, anything like that. And so it definitely attracted a certain type of person. And what I found was I was very different from that type of person. And that's okay. That's normal. But what I did learn from the program is I got a really different perspective of kind of the ongoing of downtown Winnipeg and kind of what really happens there. For, you know, a 17, 18 year old girl at the time, I didn't really feel unsafe, which for a lot of people is is kind of shocking and surprising. But I think it really instilled some empowerment in me. We didn't carry weapons. We carried flashlights and radios. I did end up getting peace officer status so that I could help out with some of the tasks. But yeah, we would walk, patrol downtown 24 hours a day, and we would give people directions. We would just kind of be a presence, and it was kind of an additional presence for the Winnipeg police. Like Safe Walk was a really big program, and I actually, 
unsurprisingly, in my university years, several years later, ended up taking part in a similar program where you walk people home, walk, yes. you know, wait with them at their bus stop and just kind of provide a bit of a guide slash safety service for people. And I learned that I don't want to work outside <laughs> because you, <laughs> I can you know, rain or shine, one. you know, rain and sh- rain or shine, you were outside, you know, minus 40. I mean, obviously we did, we would go in through the mall and through the different connected walkways, indoors and that kind of thing. But we still, during specific hours, needed to be present outdoors. And so you kind of learn just what you can take and, you know, how to be mentally strong and how to deal with unorthodox situations. We got some, you know, nonviolent crisis intervention training. So you learn how to communicate, which at that age was instrumental for 17, 18 year old to learn how to de-escalate because that's not just with strangers. That's great for your relationships. It's yes, great for your, absolutely. you know, of all kinds, your family, your friends. So I would say those are my biggest takeaways from that. Hey, that's pretty cool. And, and you know what? My son, I got him volunteering with the watch. He didn't spend a lot of time with it. He went on a walk with a couple of the ambassadors. And what he said, I wonder if this connected with you a bit as well. He said, it's interesting when you're walking down in that, it was a red outfit, a a black, a red outfit with a ball cap and your backpack or, or whatever it was. He said, all the eyes are on you. He said, it was an odd feeling. He wasn't used to it at all. Did you ever notice that too, that there was something special about your presence down there and people had their eyes on you? for insight, for help, just just feeling more safe because you're down there? Did you feel any of that piece? Like there was a special presence about you when you're in that outfit walking down there in rain? I love that. You're like the post office, rain, sleet, or hail. You guys were out there, right? Did you ever feel that way? I don't think so, not personally, but that's because I was so young and I was usually, you know, with more experience, you know, partner, we were always partnered up for safety. I definitely felt like my supervisors and that sort of thing, there was definitely more kind of attention on them, especially if there was a situation happening, whether it was dealing with someone who's homeless and panhandling in front of a building, which there were bylaws against and just kind of how those situations were approached. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say that kind of witnessed it, but I never really felt like I was the subject of it. But I think also because I was so young, didn't really put myself in those situations. Yes. would you say the watch is similar to the bear clan? Because I haven't heard of the watch, but I do know about the bear clan where they like walk around and it sounds like they do something quite similar. I've never heard of the bear clan, so I can't speak to that. But Well, the bear clan in, in Winnipeg is a group of folks who do all kinds of walks for all kinds of reasons and, and causes. They could be looking for someone missing. They just be patrolling the streets. And it's Sometimes a pretty large pick organization. Up garbage too. Yes, yes. It's a pretty powerful community group that really helps with the kind of the safety, the atmosphere, the environment, and it it has a big indigenous feel to it as well. So it really is a a closer connection to the community in a lot of ways. It's really interesting, but that's a good analogy. Well Mm -hmm. done there, CJ. Yeah, I would say there's some similarities, but I would say that motivations are very different. And I think, you know, we're talking about all these, for example, the Bear Clan or the walk that Shailene was doing. These experiences, I think, break the stigma and also break, you know, the initial ideas that we have about, for example, the homeless population, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stereotypes about them. Exactly. Yeah, that's where I was trying to find stereotypes, (laughs) but yeah. That's a really great takeaway, too, is just kind of, you know, you you don't know and you hear people and sometimes you take their word for it. And then, you know, when you're actually exposed to it and you maybe see some of those, you know, inherent biases confirmed. But if you're looking to have them confirmed, they're going to be confirmed. Mm -hmm. But also seeing the human side of people like homeless people and kind of recognizing 
the underlying causes, you know, especially like addiction. And, and to this day, it's 2022. And, you know, it's still not treated as seriously as I would like to see it. So that's a, a really good kind of message to bring up is they are human and it's recognized as a mental illness. And, you know, they require to be treated like humans and to be recognized that, you know, they need people need help. Im- imperfect humans can't do it all by themselves. And no one's truly perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you got a lot out of this experience. Along with the pieces you didn't like about it, it sounds like as you're going to talk further, I think, about some of your pathing, it really did pave the way for some of your your ability to connect with people and to see people and empathize with people. I think it's pretty cool because talk about some of what you did after the downtown biz. I mean, you decided not to go to university. That's correct. To start. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that it was less of a, well, it was, I guess it was a decision. I mean, Many of my friends went to university. Their parents had the ability to, to fund that. And that was just not an option for me. And so, you know, for me early on, I remember thinking, well, I don't want to spend thousands or ten thousands, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on an education when I don't, I don't really know what I want to do yet. And so for me, I would hate to go into school, be spending a bunch of money and then you know, it'd have additional pressure to figure out what I want to do when I was still in such a formative time of my life. And so I chose the path of, well, let's see where this takes me, figure out what I don't want. You know, and I think part of that was pretty unconscious at first. And so kind of a really quick summary is, you know, I worked for the watch for a year. And then I got a job working at a bank, a local bank in, you know, St. Boniface in, uh, in Winnipeg, in the French Quarter where I grew up. And my sister worked there. So I started off helping out and then, you know, became a teller because I was bilingual. And then I ended up staying there for significantly longer than I intended. But I had the opportunity of being young and purchasing a house and getting a mortgage because I worked at the bank. And at the time, the, you know, the mortgage rate was like 1% or 2%, something super crazy low for a bank, uh, someone who worked at the bank. And that was a pretty fantastic opportunity. I think that was, you know, 21, 22. So I kind of went along the path of, you know, I have a good job. It's not really what I want to do, but for now it's okay. Bought a house, got into a relationship, and then had the dog, you know? So the in my dog, eyes, that's, like, that's, oh. hey, if that's you, the takeaway. If you got the white picket fence, it would have been perfect. Exactly. I think I might have actually. And, you know, the perfect <laughs> little house. I love that house. Honestly, if I could have picked up that house and taken it with me, I would have. But I just remember thinking, you know, after two years, I have everything society tells me will make me happy. Everything I'm supposed to have. I've done it. I've checked the boxes. So why am I so miserable? But it's because I was trying to, my favorite analogy in this is I was trying to shove puzzle pieces where they didn't belong. I was trying to put the picture of my life together and it didn't really matter if it fit or not. If it looked like it fit, that was okay. And, you know, I realize now that was pretty damaging for myself, but I learned a lot of really important things about myself. And so that led me to seek out time for myself. And I finally took time after, you know, I think I was with the bank four years at that point. I really looked at what I wanted out of my life instead of just collecting a paycheck and doing what I was supposed to be doing as per, you know, societal norms, I was looking at what I wanted to do, what I really wanted to do. And that took me to visiting a friend in Edmonton, actually a a former CIP, I guess, classmate. And she took me climbing in the Canadian Rockies, my first ever 
outdoor climbing experience. And that experience completely shattered my mindset in the most phenomenal way. Okay, just because, a minute. Okay, just a minute sorry, here. Ahead, yeah. So you're sitting yeah. in in society's perfect world with your house and your dog and your white picket fence. And you're not happy working in the bank, which is a pretty decent job for a 21-year-old, I would think. Would you agree? I would say so. Okay, mm -hmm. so you go to check out your SIP buddy in Edmonton. You climb a mountain. Like, what kind of mountain is this? Did you go, was this like a one-day thing? Did you spend a week in a mountain? How tall was the mountain? What happened on a mountain that made you say, just a second? So what happened is he kind of just threw the idea out and, you know, I was on leave from my job. I, I guess I was trying to pour from an empty cup is what you call it. And so this friend of mine takes me to the mountain, puts me, you know, I, I'm in my harness. Literally, instead of hiking up a mountain, you are put at the base of a climb, just a one pitch, which is just to the top. There's an anchor the place that she took me, you can set up the anchor up top. You can hike up and do it, which is not super common, but great, right? Great for beginners. And so she puts me in this harness on this rope. And I look up at this wall and she says, okay, climb it. You know, at first I'm kind of panicking and going, what? Like, how am I supposed to get up there? I said, well, use your feet, use your hands. Like anything is game. You can grab whatever, take whatever path makes sense to you. I just remember suddenly looking around me allowing kind of that initial panic to subside and then starting. And, you know, before I know it, I'm at the top of this climb and I look behind me and I see nothing but mountains and trees and forests and just beauty around me. And I go, what am I doing in Winnipeg? What am I doing <laughs> not in these mountains? Hold it. You don't like our... What am I our... doing in the worst city in Canada? No, no, no. What <laughs> I mean, come yeah. on, we're having like, come on. hey, in Manitoba here, you're looking at the uninterrupted view to the horizon. You don't like that? You prefer the mountain? What is it about the mountain that connected you to this realization, this introspection? I think it really showed me that I can overcome so much more than I had given myself credit for, that if I put my mind to it, I can do it. And that was what I needed in that moment, because I felt so heavy and bogged down by all of the things in my life that I wasn't happy with. You know, I wasn't happy my, with my relationship. I wasn't happy in my job. I felt undervalued. I worked so hard and I was giving and giving and I just allowed people to take, take, take. And so finally, this is something that I could do that I got back from. So it felt to me like an opportunity to start fresh. And that's what I used it as. So the next, I rented out my house in my mind. I was 23 years old and I went, I have a safety net here. I am going to move away from a city that I've lived my whole life. And if it doesn't work, I can come back. I love that experience that you had climbing up the mountain because that's good both like as an experience and metaphorically that if you don't know what you could do, act like you're going to climb up a mountain. There's so many different ways to do it and you have to just pick one. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. I like exactly. That. And it sounds sometimes, Shailene, like if you really want to be introspective, you have to look for the poet in you. Is that weird to say? Mm -hmm. Like, you knew I was an EAL Not person and I was into that. But you need to look for that, that sense of wonder and imagination and possibility in you. The mountain stimulated that in you where cutting the grass didn't at your property. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 and, yeah. So that's an amazing experience. Now, when you were on that mountain... How tall was it? Like, was it a big one or like, like, is it one of those, is it, what was it kind of set up for you to do? Or did you have to really, I've climbed a mountain too. And it, it had a say in Italy once 
and I made a mistake climbing a mountain because I wasn't with all the harnesses and I was, <laughs> there was a helicopter actually coming by our mountain going, are you okay? I went, I don't know. My Reeboks aren't working. Like I wasn't even dressed for it. And I accidentally got into this. But when I got to the top of that mountain, it was almost mystical. Is that the kind of experience you had where you just thought about, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? That was exactly it. It wasn't about the size of the mountain or the size of the climb. I, I mean, I would guess it was probably about 20 to 30 meters, about 100 feet, yeah. which is pretty standard for a climb. Not that I knew that back then, but it was the whole experience because after that climb, we went back and we camped in the Nordag area, or I guess the Clearwater County area, which is Crownland. And we camped next to the rushing river, had a fire. I slept on the ground. Hmm. I think that I'd done some camping, but not really to that magnitude. I don't think I ever slept better in my life at that point. And that's a great moment, right? like, just, like when you strip yeah. away all the essentials and you're just sleeping on the ground, you have no choice but to really get in touch with yourself, right? There's nothing around you to help. It's just you. And you're just stuck in your thoughts pretty much. Well, and for me, it was an opportunity. I think I found reconnection to myself and my own wants and needs that I had been ignoring, as well as just peace. Yes. Something that I had really experienced little of in my life and something that I realized I want more of. There's something about the mountains. Since that day, I always want to go back. I lived in Edmonton for eight years and I went to those mountains as much as I could. From there, I moved to Edmonton. I stayed with the bank for a little while because I was able to transfer to Edmonton. And then for a while, I kind of pulled the trigger, I guess, metaphorically, and mm -hmm. decided that I was going to you know, try something different. I did a little bit of administrative stuff. And then I actually went on a 100-day road trip with a friend of mine in 2015, traveled throughout Canada and the U.S., just exploring nature you know our backyard essentially and just learning about myself and seeing what Canada and the U.S. have to offer and you know there's just so much beauty that people don't realize is right there from there I started working at a climbing gym eventually became you know a climbing instructor and then I became an instructor provider so I actually became a trainer's trainer and I was in management at the gym and, you know I really loved it but I found that eventually I ended up kind of default to some previous patterns, which is normal because if you don't unlearn patterns, if you don't kind of address issues, they just kind of go yes. unnoticed for a while. Yes. And then they become conscious again because you kind of realize, well, suddenly I'm not happy again. What's going on? Yeah, and you, I realized yeah, yeah. it was, I wasn't feeling valued. I didn't really feel like I had a voice in my management position. And so that's actually what led me to my current career in human resources because I felt like I really, really valued my staff. And at the time, I mean, this was in in 2016, 2017, HR has been reinventing itself. Businesses have had to really recognize that their employees are their first customers. And if you don't treat them as such, then your actual customers who come to your business are going to notice and they're they're not going to be as happy with the service because that leaks out into how you do business, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing. So from there, you know, I decided to apply for university at 29 years old when I started university. And there's definitely some stigma around going to university later. But to me, it just felt like the right decision because I really wanted to make a difference. And I was tired of being the middleman and not really having any power yes. or being able to kind of make any real change, any lasting change. And so, I mean, HR, you know, is not just recruitment and selection. It's not 
just training and development. It's also strategic management. And so in my current role, you know, I did a diploma at McEwen University and that program, I cannot recommend high enough. It is custom built. And for me, going into university at 29 years old, it was really important for me to not just say, well, I'm going to choose a four-year degree because my time was valuable. And so I chose a program where after one year, I would get a certification, get something for my time and my effort. After two years, I got a diploma and completed the diploma. And then at that point, I would be able to choose whether or not I wanted to roll those two years into a four-year degree because I could do that at McEwen or a lot of other universities in Canada. So where are you at right now? So I'm currently studying a bachelor degree in HR and labor relations at Athabasca. It's an online degree, and I chose that program because it was three years instead of four, and my two years fit into it, so I had 10 more courses. And my goal was to get my CPHR, so my designation in HR. So you're still working on that part, though? That's correct. So I spent, you know, three years in school, back-to-back, no break. I studied every summer, and again, kind of some patterns showed up of, wow, I don't do these things, and so... You know, when we moved to Ottawa, I decided that I was going to drop the classes that I was in because I just felt like I was struggling and for what purpose. I definitely explored the sunk cost fallacy, right? I've been working on it so long. I just need to finish these courses. You know, I finally just sought out some advice from friends, family, and kind of just made the decision to take a break and then get an HR role and start really getting some real HR experience. Yeah, well, you need that. Like if you're going to do a CPHR, you you got to be in HR. You got to be doing it, right? Yeah, so. and I'd done HR in a lot of my previous roles. Um, it was never my direct title. So I was, yeah. you know, an office manager. I was a operations manager, programs manager, all these things where it was part of my job, but it was a portion of my job and it was something that I wanted to do more of. So what actually ended up happening is in November or early December, I got a message on LinkedIn from one of my now bosses and he essentially headhunted me. So I got headhunted by this company in CARP that I'm working for now, which is just outside of Ottawa. They were looking for someone to you know, head up their HR for their company. And that's what I'm doing now. I do intend to finish my degree, but right now I'm... Yeah, that's awesome. So you also use LinkedIn, which is a a good message for anyone listening. LinkedIn's a great little tool to get yourself out there and to connect to a community that you want to connect to, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn has been great. And honestly, actually, that program that we're doing, one of the courses that's, you know, focused on business and everything to do with starting a business and business ideas and business proposals. One of the assignments was that you just have to create a LinkedIn profile and fill that out. It's an easy grade. And you think the simple, oh, I'm never going to use that. But Oh, no, you use LinkedIn I like do. crazy. I yeah. use it I use a it lot. Like and actually, I mean, it's how you found me. It's how we got reconnected, right? Exactly. And it's, it's also how I was headhunted. Still to this day, I kind of go, that really happened. So what are you doing in HR right now? So it's CSS Industrial Group is the parent company. And there are five companies beneath that umbrella, one of which is in the U.S., mostly in the industrial sector and energy, I guess. And the two of the main ones are CSS Wind and USS Wind. And specifically, we focus on wind turbine technicians and composite blade repair. So it's very specialized, very niche. And so my climbing history actually kind of played into this because even though I knew nothing about the industry, in terms of safety and certification, I have a lot of knowledge that 
the average HR person wouldn't have. And so I do a lot of that and international recruiting and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. And there's the great message of everyone needs an HR person. I always think that. So like when some people think that job has too many uh, pieces that I don't understand, everyone needs an accountant. Everyone needs an HR person. Everyone needs a logistics and supply chain person. Like you need these people. There's a message just about you don't have to worry about what the company is specifically. I mean, you want to get more versed in what they do, obviously, but there's opportunity. Anyway, you know what, Shailene, this is amazing. You've you've told us a lot of things. We're going to do a little Mm -hmm. exercise with you and it's called Quick Cues. It's a new feature. It's a hybrid of our Whip It round we used to do in our previous iteration of this podcast. Going to turn it over now to CJ. For quick cues, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of quick questions that you give short answers to, and they're pretty general questions, so don't worry about it. First one is, are you a dog or cat person? Cat person. Okay. Do you think pineapple belongs on pizza? Definitely not. What about your favorite potato chip? No pickle. Ooh. <laughs> uh, question, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> questionable on that one. <laughs> what do you put on your toast? Oh, anything from peanut butter to Nutella to avocado. Are you a summer or winter person? summer do you have a messy or tidy desk both star wars or star trek star trek what's expired in your fridge recently lettuce what about your favorite music artist too many to name but i'll say rascal flats because it's the first that comes to mind and your favorite social media linkedin i think you have a bias on that one but okay (laughs) (laughs) what about your last pocket dial my friend are you an indoor or outdoors person outdoor what about your favorite genre of music probably are you a coffee, tea, or water person? All of the above. What about a morning or night person? Night. And do you believe in ghosts? No, because I am afraid of them. <laughs> <laughs> Valid reason. Well, it sounds like you yeah. believe in them. <laughs> this, que- this next question might have already been answered by that one, but what's your greatest fear? Snakes. And lastly, what's your favorite podcast? Um, this should probably be Russell Arch- Brand. Oh my gosh. It's not Adventures in Careerland? Yeah, it should be Adventures (laughs) in Careerland. Boo, 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 Anyway, we put that in. We sneaked that one in there, Shailene. I hope that's okay. (laughs) But you will now have a favorite podcast that's a little different than the original one you mentioned. Anyway, Shailene, thanks so much for doing this. Boy, I think you're so thoughtful. I want to keep in touch with you. I hope you do. Because I'd I'd love to continue our dialogue as two human beings getting to know one another. And I'm just so proud of you for your path. I want to say that as a teacher and as a a person who connected with you. I was so proud when you joined the program way back when. I saw something different in you. I saw something special in you back then. And I continue to see you flourish. So congratulations on your pathing and your sense of trying to figure out what the best path is and what's the right fit for you. I just think your message here is is really powerful. Mm -hmm. So thanks for doing that. Any last thoughts? What advice would you give to a high school student? Be proactive and get as much career advice and learn new things as much as possible. That's perfect. So everybody, that was Shailene. Many thanks. And that's it for another edition of Adventures in Careerland.